Thank you to Colin and Mavis for sharing that. I hope you don't mind me using both. I just felt that both were so rich and helped me uh, grasp a little bit more about what we're going to talk about today. And hopefully we're going to get some PowerPoint slides up on the uh, screen because I'd like you to think back to 1995. Some of us were uh, in our teens. Some of us weren't even born yet. Many of us were, yeah, waving over there. These things happened in 1995, uh, just so you know. The UN uh, intervened in the Bosnian Civil War, and a peace agreement was signed. There were riots in Brixton, calling John Major, doesn't he look dapper in those glasses, uh, to uh, uh, almost have a breakdown with stress. Ebola, or Ebola, was in the Congo. Did you know that? I thought it was a new thing. O.J. Simpson was found innocent. Windows 95 was released. The first Toy Story film came out, changing animation forever. Apollo 13 made us cry. And Goldeneye plunged Piers Brosnan as James Bond into superhero status. We were singing Cotton Eye Joe. I asked John to sing it, but he wouldn't. I also asked him to sing Gangster's Paradise, but he wouldn't do that either. I also asked him to sing He is Exalted Forever Exalted on High because that was the number one song of the year according to the internet as was Shine Jesus Shine. My favourite. Such Love was number two so Kendrick was in full flow that year and if you were really, really, really trendy you were singing My Jesus, My Saviour by somebody called Darlene Somebody that no one could pronounce. So... That was 1995. It was the year I was taking my GCSEs and the year I was baptised. But way more significantly today, perhaps, is it's the year that Simon and Kerry felt God's call to leave the hills of Scotland, of Scotland, of Wales. (laughs) Have you ever been to Scotland? No, anyway. Wales and become missionaries to the east which is, as you know, a brave move for them because they love all things Welsh, including rugby and dragons. No, you don't like dragons, really, anyway. For those of you who don't know who've been uh, here more recently, Simon was initially called as associate minister here. A few years later, would be called senior pastor. And since then, him and Simon and uh, uh, Kerry and the kids have led here. Isn't that a lovely photo? nice. They didn't look like that when they arrived. Since then, they've led Burlington through times of growth, through times of challenge, through times of building work, through times of parties. There's been times when we've been flourishing financially as a church, and I remember a trustees or then deacons meeting when things weren't going quite so well, and we discussed how people could use less toilet rolls. You joke. We did. Into the night, we discussed how many toilet rolls we used as a church and how we could cut back. Twenty years later, we are celebrating together that we have been here under Simon and Kerry's leadership, and there have been many times of fruit, as we can see from these photographs and words. There's been many times of challenge, which we've been led wisely through. These give us a glimpse of what is going on. But there's way more stories we could share, way more things we could tell. There's way more things we could celebrate about. And let's do that today together as we eat together and party together. But let's also think about what God has done and what he has built here 
uh, Burlington. And this passage has been ringing my ears since Simon and Kerry asked me to preach a few ye- few months ago um, on this day. There are so many things we could have shared, but God was hammering home to me that we needed to celebrate that he's been building his home here at Burlington over the last 20 years. He's been building his home here on earth. You'll know in the Old Testament that uh, God's presence rested in them through the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and then later into the temple. But with the coming of Jesus, we learn that God has made his home in each of us. We all carry God's presence within us. He's building his home in each of us. And therefore, collectively, God is building his home here at Burlington. That's exciting. That's exciting. Let's think a little bit more about that. Jesus has literally moved into the neighborhood and he's building his home here. Simon and Kerry have been ushering in his kingdom rule here at Burlington for 20 years, building on the foundations of the past of the many who had gone before. Together here, as God's family, we're part of that home. We're part of that home. And we gather together, and we scatter, and we're still God's home. So what does that look like? Let's think a little bit about home. Let's think about that passage in Isaiah 58. And the first thing that God reminded me of was uh, when I was younger... My dad, when I went out in an evening, which obviously wasn't very often, um, he would leave a light on in the hallway for me because he would go to bed a little bit before, quite a lot before me. And he'd leave a light on so that I could see that he knew I was coming home, which was good. He, that light showed that he was expecting me home, but also it sort of guided me back towards our house, which was up a dark road. He wanted me home, and he left that light on as a sign to say, yeah, come home. And when I got in, I'd go in the door, turn that light on, and go to bed. It was his way of also knowing I was home. There was one night I didn't come home, the light didn't get turned off, and I won't tell you the rest of the story because it was not fun. God is building his home, has built his home, and he has put a very bright light on the front door of that home 1 Peter 2.9 puts it like this. But you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who were called out of darkness into a wonderful light. God has put a bright light on the door of this home. I remember many times walking down towards Burlington and seeing the lights on. And then beginning to hear the worship music coming from it. When we became a Christian, we stepped out of darkness into God's amazing light. We came home into his presence, into his family. And like that light for my dad, when we came home into that light, we knew we were wanted, expected, accepted, welcomed, and safe. We knew that we belonged somewhere. I feel like I belong in this home. I feel like I'm home. Collectively, though, we have a responsibility to be the light in the darkness. See, God's light lives in each of us. And Isaiah talks about that light. He says, together we shine brightly, do all these things that I've called to you, things of the kingdom, 
And then the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around. Well, that second bit. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadow lives will be bathed in sunlight. Together, we are God's bright, shining light because his light is in us. This home has a bright, shining light in it. You and me, God living in us. I love being part of a family that drives out darkness, which home shines so brightly that the darkness has to flee. And if you can think over the last few years, even in this street, this church has been shining so brightly that the darkness is being driven out. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. But also, because God's home is in you, his bright shining light is in you, where you live, where you work, the darkness is fleeing. We can celebrate that here today. So a question for us, or two questions for us. Think for a moment. What darkness is God driving out of your life? We come into the light and the darkness is driven out. But even more than that, what darkness is he using to drive out? If we call this place our home, if God's home lives in us, what darkness is he driving out? As those saxophones are played in this place tomorrow, the darkness is being driven out of people's lives because it's done bathed in prayer. It's done in with God's mission at heart. Before people ever experience the joy of coming home, they experience the light in your life. By the way you speak, by the way you live, by the way you point to Jesus. Are you willing to see the darkness driven out in this town, in your place of work, wherever you are? But before we walk through the door, we're thinking about the light on the door, but before we go through the door, we need to remember that this home certainly needed some walls. And Simon and Kerry have seen this place change considerably. And Jonathan's just going to come for a moment and share some words that were written about the annex of the church centre being built because God needed some walls here. And he was part of that story. And I think he's written some words for us to have today. Yes, I've got some words from uh, Keith Trevorrow, who sadly couldn't be with us today. So Simon played a pivotal leading role in the development of the church centre, as I'm sure you all know. As a church, we've been discussing several options over many, many years. And some of you might recall Alan Easter and his building of a scale model of one of those options for developing this sanctuary itself. So Simon took these ideas and more, and he motivated and led us to focus on what we really wanted our buildings to do. And we really prayed and tried to seek God for the vision for Burlington for the future. Over several years, Simon continued to bring us back to thinking about the future, the current buildings, the role that Burlington could play if it had a better home from which to reach out into the local community here, but also into our own networks of relationships too. Equally happy in addressing finance or fabric matters, Simon really motivated us to trust in God and to go for it. He strove for a design uh, and construction that was really worthy of the right quality, balancing affordability with desirability as well. When things got tough, 
such as when we were challenged by the HM Revenue and Customs as to whether the church centre was an annex or an extension, with VAT in, in jeopardy on a million-pound project. Simon kept his and our nerve as we challenged that decision and won our case, praise God. Such was Simon's conviction and faith in the vision we were aiming for. And indeed, the church centre actually went on to inspire Holly Lodge to continue to move ahead with their own challenging redevelopment programme. There are far more stories to tell about Simon's leadership in the building of the church centre, but not enough time now. But the most telling thing about Simon's role in the building of the church centre is what happened when it was built. He didn't stop there. He knew in his heart that God didn't want a building for the sake of just having another building. He wanted to use the building to go forward, build a kingdom for God, as we've already heard, and then to be part of a rescue mission. And that takes us on to the next part of the story. Isn't it amazing that uh, on this 20th year celebration, we can pay that building off? Isn't that amazing? What a testimony to God's faithfulness, to Simon and Kerry's leadership in, in building this home base for us, this centre. Okay, we're allowed to go through the door of the home now. It looks like this. The welcome mat. If you Google welcome maps, you get some brilliant ones back, most of which were not appropriate for this morning. Oh no, not you again could probably be quite a good one in our house. Anyway, there are many welcome mats you could choose. Home is where the wine is, um, was one of them. There were loads. But God talks in this passage a lot about welcome. A godly home should be a place of welcome where you walk through the door and immediately somehow you relax, you breathe again. You know you're safe, you can be yourself. God's welcome to his house is open, inclusive. Look what it says in Isaiah 58 verse 6. What I'm interested in seeing you do is to share your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families and households. God's home is open to all and his welcome should be experienced to all. But Isaiah is even more clear. He says that we should experience God's presence as we walk through the door of the home. It shouldn't just be nice buildings. The amount of prayer that went into dedicating these buildings was as important as the many financial meetings that we had. If I walk into Simon and Kerry's house, that welcome mat immediately does something to me. It's a scutty old thing. It's not nice. It's busy. It's, it's not. It's fine. It's a mat. It's a slightly chaotic house if you've ever been to the Harrises. But when I walk through that door, there is always a sense of feeling God's presence around me. One of the Harris kids once uh, handcuffed me to the stairs so that I couldn't leave. Another lot of Harris kids used to hide my shoes so I couldn't leave. Even in those moments, somehow I experienced the grace of God. Actually, when you walk into their home, not only are you greeted with the kettles in the kitchen, go make yourself at home, you're greeted with a sense of God's presence is here. It's a home of worship, a home of grace, a home of love, a home of laughter, a home of joy, a home where the washing up always involves a disco. 
their home is a picture of what happens here as well. Haven't had a disco over the washing up yet, or not for a while, but we could make that happen today. This church has a welcome mat that says, come in and experience God. Come in and meet with the creator. Come in who will give you full life in the emptiest of places, as that Bible verse talked about. This church feels like a home because we experience God and his welcome home every time we come in to worship him, every time we come in to serve him, every time we greet someone across the door. May that be true of my home. May that be true of my life too. May that always be true of Burlington. May people come and experience God by meeting us and by coming into this place. Let's move across the threshold, though, into the kitchen. My favorite room of the house, because it's where most of my needs are met. My caffeine needs, my food needs, my drink needs. Our kitchen is the heart of the home, and our food needs are met there. But way more than that, our kitchen is a place of discipleship. Our kitchen is a place where we can truly say, hang on, we're catching up. Our kitchen is a place where we can truly say discipleship happens. Around the table, we are encouraged to listen to what God is saying to us. The message puts it like this. I will always show you where to go. I will give you full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles and strong bones. To have firm muscles and strong bones, we need to have our needs met. We need to eat, we need to drink, we need to eat healthily, and we need to drink wisely. But way more than that, we need to experience God and ask him to change us and challenge us. We need to listen to God so that he can give us direction. We need to experience him and ask him to provide for our needs. We need to ask him to give us life to the full the one of healing and restoration. Burlington is like a big kitchen a lot of the time. Here on a Sunday throughout the week in this building, many needs are met through toy library, through contact, through women's fellowship. Here in this place, many needs are met. Lunch club feed people. What's going on now? There's lots of food for feet for the street. But way more than that, what happens when Burlington is scattered? So many needs are met and God's kingdom is ushered in. Our kitchen, though, is also the place of parties. Have you ever been to a party where you're sat in the lounge making polite chit-chat and there's so much fun going on in the kitchen? Is that just me? Why does the real party always happen in the kitchen? This needs to be a place of parties. Jesus loved parties. He went to a lot of them and he met people's needs at parties. Water into wine, for example. It needs to be a place of thankfulness, a place where we gather around a meal and say thank you, is expressing our need for God. Burlington is like a big kitchen and therefore... What are you thankful for today about Burlington? We've written some of them down. How is this place, in its scattered nature and its together nature, helping you grow in your faith? Helping you trust God for the needs that you have in your life? We could talk about many other things. We could talk about the bedroom. 
where God provides rest and restoration. We could talk about perhaps the bathroom where our sins are washed away. We could talk about a lounge where an extended family plays together, learns together, prays together. All of these are elements of this home here and our homes together. But I want us to head to the garden. The garden. Isaiah 58 says, You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. As I look around, I see fruit. I see Anna, the strawberry, and Rachel, the raspberry. No, I don't. I see fruit. I see fruit of many prayers for friends to come to know Jesus in this place. I see fruit of encouragement from others in this church to step into something that God is calling them. I see the fruit of the Spirit all over this place. I see the fruit from us listening to over a thousand of Simon's sermons. I started counting and ran out at 998. But over a thousand sermons preached in this church. I see fruit of those who have been encouraged by Kerry through prophecy or redeeming Eve or other things that she's led in this church. I see fruit all over this congregation. I see a well-watered garden like a spring where the waters never fail. I see God's luscious, beautiful home in this garden. And I also see a pile of old branches that have been trimmed off because they were stopping us grow in our own lives. There are many things on that pile that are from my life, where God has had to take them away and say, if I cut this off, whilst it might be painful now, you're going to see fruit because of it. There's a pile of things that Simon and Kerry have led us through as a church that we've had to lay down because God was asking them to be rooted out, often a hard and a lonely task. So a question What is God growing in you today? What pruning has he done in your life? I see fruit. I long to see more. And because of that, I also see a harvest. Beyond the luscious, beautiful garden, there's a harvest. And maybe another field. I'm not sure what it is. But as I was praying about this sermon, and believe me, it hasn't been the most easy one to write, God sent me to a passage that is entitled Stubborn Israel. You can see why I struggled with wanting to preach it. But this verse actually jumped out at me because it talks about the harvest. Your descendants will be like sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name will never be cut off or destroyed. That's Isaiah 48 verse 19. I'm not sure why it's not up there. Isaiah 48:19. God kept hammering this verse home to me because he said, actually, the home's been built. The people are a home when they're together and when they're scattered. Now it's time to see the descendants come home. God has a harvest for us. And I know he is promising way more of his children to come home. As I prayed more and more about this verse, God clearly whispered that this household is ready for more people to come home and that Simon and Kerry have been leading us to do this for so many years. There are many things that impress me about them, but one of the major things is that they have always known that others needed to find God. Their heart for mission, their heart for people to find out who God is and who they are to him 
has been the stream that's run through the last 20 years. It's been an incredible 20 years, but if you think back to launch the lifeboats, for example, it was a time, a pivotal moment in those 20 years where Simon outlined that there is a harvest that we were not reaching. God's garden is there and we needed to be brave. And this quote came to me a couple of months ago. I've sat on it till now. If the highest aim of a captain was to preserve his ship, he would never, he would leave it at port forever. See, God could have built this home with a bright light and a lovely garden and a kitchen. But then he could have said, oh, just enjoy the house. It's lovely. It's got nice new buildings. You know, have a few parties. Be lovely. God's never said that. And Simon and Kerry have led us knowing that. That this home isn't a home for its own self. It's a home where others find God. They've led us out into choppy waters at times, knowing like a good captain, that the destination is worth it. So what is God saying to us today? God's home is in each of us, but it's also building as we commit together to love one another. God's home here at Burlington is a shining light where people find welcome and they experience the presence of God. God's home must be a place of parties, of thankfulness, of celebration, but it must be a place where we experience God's spirit for healing, both physically and spiritually. God's home has a fruitful garden, and we are his fruit. But there's a harvest. It's ripe, and it's ready. What is God saying to you today? God's saying to me, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's celebrate what he's done, but let's commit together to go together into the future and see those descendants come home.